So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. It's awesome to have you here. Today, what I really want to do is go down a little bit of a rabbit hole on a concept that I presented at my Freedom Warrior Mastermind a couple of weeks ago, but which I think is really relevant for all investors, particularly given the current market environment. So I want to pull it apart because really, if you can grasp the ideas that I'm going to share today, it really is one of the key kind of thinking frameworks that you need in order to become one of those investors that separates themselves from the vast majority that will potentially go through quite a bit of pain if the market were to tank. Now, really where I want to start today is by kind of emphasizing this idea that we are, as humans, emotional beasts and we are people who, by our very nature, tend to believe that whatever state of play we are in today is just going to continue. So, we continuously extrapolate from where we are to predict where we're going to be. And when I say that, an easy way to understand that is when we are in the middle of a particular trend, as we have been for the last couple of years, where things are just on this seemingly endless upward trajectory, and there's a lot of fear of missing out in the market to propel investors to make decisions, whether it's property or shares or otherwise, it's really difficult to imagine that there's going to be any kind of event that happens which kind of breaks that trend and that potentially could fall off a cliff or drag down in the other direction. You know, if you were to ask someone second half of 2021 what they thought they needed to do from an investment perspective, it was all about buy, 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 buy. And particularly when we're talking about real estate, I mean, that's an expensive asset. So, you know, the idea that most investors have is, that you know the calamity of covid is behind us and now it's we're into blue sky territory and everyone should jump on the bandwagon and certainly I've talked about this before but there's a lot of investors who've been congratulating themselves over the last couple of years for what they believe to be hard earned gains I've spoken to many investors who have acquired anywhere from you know 3 to 6 investment properties over the last 2 years and feel that they're laughing all the way to the bank I think the reality is though that when not in a recessionary period, it's really easy for investors to become overconfident. And when you're overconfident, you take more risks. And it's that very nature of risk tasking which pushes the market into maybe an inflated or overvalued territory. And then that's what it, in the end is what causes the bubbles or the recessions. You know, I think if you look at real estate in particular over the last two years, you would see valuations just going into insane territory. I think on our you know own home the valuation went up 
over a million dollars in 12 months. And I just thought, far out. That's just insane. So, you know, I think whenever valuations go up and the market seems really buoyant, people feel like things can't go wrong. But in fact, when you get those inflated valuations, that's when the market is most prone to crashing. You know, when there is a crisis, people get really kind of motivated about trying to defend and protect and batten down the hatches. And so that in itself creates more conservative investor behavior. And that's when you start to see markets kind of recover. So my point is there's an element of like the market to some degree being the complete opposite of a self-fulfilling prophecy just from the space of, you know, we kind of think that whatever trend we're in now is just never going to end. And that's just how human behavior works. And if that's true, I guess there's a few things that I want to kind of point out to people. And one of the things that I've definitely witnessed over the last decade or so is this idea that it's very, very easy. Yeah. So, one thing I've definitely witnessed over the last few years is this concept of herd mentality. And that's part of the problem. That's part of why people believe that trends will just continue in the direction that they're in right now. And it's not that people don't recognize that there are booms and busts, but I think that, you know, we're all optimists. And ultimately, if we're committing dollars to a particular investment, our hope is that that trend continues. So, this herd mentality, which I've definitely witnessed, particularly in our market here in Australia and New Zealand for that matter, is this idea that, um, you know, we believe that we can follow the herd. So, the idea is that we can avoid doing our own research because we make decisions on the back of the fact that we assume everybody else has made some really great decisions and we're just, you know, riding their coattails. And then, you know, the other extreme is where I've seen investors stick their head in the sand. So, there's no question, in spite of the fact that the data coming out of the property data houses right now is suggesting that, you know, the corrections are fairly minuscule in terms of numbers number of days properties sit on the market, average discounting done by vendors. It all looks fairly small. And I've seen some very prominent property gurus publish data in the last week or two, which really just is sort of implying that, yes, the market's cooling, but it's nothing to worry about. And so, you know, that in combination with everything else going on in the world isn't fooling a lot of investors. And there's certainly a lot of people out there who are really concerned, as am I, about the state of the world and what the future holds. And what I'm also witnessing right now is there are many investors who subscribe to the idea that no action is better than taking on risk. But I think that the head in the sand strategy doesn't work either because it isn't an insurance policy against harm. So, you know, I think right now, given the state of flux in the market, and that's really what it is, I think we're in a period of some fairly significant transition. I think prior to to even COVID, we were in a decade of massive growth. And, you know, certainly a lot of markets entered blue sky territory where they'd never been before. But I think with everything that's going on right now, the focus really needs to be on how do you sustain an above average performance. And, you know, part of the game with investing is just showing up and trying to stay flexible in your thinking. So, what that means from my perspective is it, you know, 
know, you do need to think about what are your core principles, but sometimes given the market conditions, you've got to calibrate, you know, what your investing rules are and how you express your core principles. So I think having strong views on what is a good investment and what doesn't make a good investment doesn't make sense when you're in a state of flux. So, you know, in reference to, you know, my comment that we're emotional beasts, I think it's dangerous to get swept up in either end of the sentiment market, meaning if the market is really bullish, meaning, you know, everybody thinks that the market's going to continue to rise. We don't want to get too caught up in that. I know me personally, over the last two years, I've been relatively skeptical about the insane growth in the market. And on the flip side, you know, right now we're definitely on the cusp of a pretty serious bear market. And I'm already witnessing massive discounting in the real estate market. So the fact that I said, as I said earlier, that those numbers haven't actually fully been reported is kind of curious. I know there's always a lag in data, but I also kind of wonder like, you know, there's so many people for whom it would not be in their interest to report on a crash, whether it's government or, you know, property people themselves. So, you know, as I said, you don't want to get swept up in either a massive bull market, but nor do you want to get caught up in the, you know, the panic selling or the the crisis around the bear market pessimism. So, I think that's kind of the framework that I want to set out for really the the key points that I want to make today. I think the truth of the matter is that, and it's an ugly truth, that if the market were to completely tank, then everyone, regardless of status, net worth, you know, where they are in terms of their investing season, you will take a haircut. Asset prices could drop. Years of hard-earned gains could be wiped out. Lending could freeze up. Businesses could really suffer or fail, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing. It could be extremely bleak. So, the question that I think is worth asking yourself is not whether or not you will take a lot a loss or whether you'll take a hit, whether your net worth could take a haircut, but how you position yourself to minimize that impact. And, you know, the focus for my intensive mastermind last weekend was really what are all the things that you should be doing to defend against you know, the massive volatility and turbulence in the market and, you know, to some degree position for really being in that very small percentage of investors who maybe experience some hardship but don't get completely wiped out and more importantly position to prevail once these headwinds pass. I think a really good starting point for what I wanted to talk about today, if you want to put yourself in a position where you do have an investing edge, it's really important to remind yourself of who you need to be. So, asking the question, what are others thinking? What are others buying? What are others selling is a useful starting point. But the thing to remember is when events happen, good or bad, events are just events. And it's really more important to be watching how people react to those events because that's really what dictates market sentiment and direction. So, as I mentioned a moment ago, this whole idea of herd instinct, it's really that phenomenon where a group of people kind of 
follow the actions of others because they are under the assumption that, you know, those other individuals have actually gone and done their research. So it's an investor who gravitates towards those people who have strong opinions on what to do and blindly follow. So when we have herd instinct at scale, that's when you start to see, you know, bubbles and market crashes and panic buying and all those things that we've certainly witnessed in the past. So if I think of kind of the the norm, how do normal people invest? What they do is they first of all ask the question, what do I want? The second thing they do is they say, what are other people doing? And there's nothing wrong with that question. It's a great starting point, but you really want to be mindful of when you're exhibiting herd instinct, when you're jumping into an investment just because either somebody else thought it was a good idea or some really loud voice in the market is telling you that that's the way to go. Because, you know, this is certainly a topic for another podcast, but, you know, there's no question that people's ability to predict the future is complete and utter crap. And even if they get it right, they're probably just lucky more than anything else. You cannot predict the future. But if the second question you ask is, what are others doing? The majority of then people just stop right there and then they say, well, how do I achieve the first point, which is what I want, in light of what others are doing? And that's kind of the normal paradigm for many investors. And really what I'm advocating is that we move to another paradigm and this term has really been coined by Ray Dalio, who is the founder for one of the largest hedge funds in the world. And, you know, I'm, I'm simplifying and really kind of adapting my own model based on his definition of what he calls hyperrealism. But essentially what he's arguing is it's really, really important that as an investor, and this is true kind of in life in general, not just around investing, but this idea of hyperrealism is about accepting reality exactly as it is rather than wishing it was different. And, you know, it's certainly that, you know, from, you know, left of field, even in my yogic studies, depression, anxiety, and all of those emotions come from wishing things were other than exactly the way they are. Um, when there's a discrepancy between what reality is and what you want reality to be, that's where angst comes into play. So if we're adopting this hyper-realism view around our investing, what it means is, so the starting question is the same is, you know, what do I want? That's always got to be the starting point as the driver. And obviously there's there's lots of layers to that, but, you know, everything from, you know, what is my risk tolerance? What am I wanting to achieve? What's my timeline? You know, how much time do I have to give to this headspace? So forth. What do I want? Let's start there. The second question then becomes, what is actually happening? So this is the hyper-realism bit. This is about looking around you and saying, you know, what are the actual events that are going on and how are people reacting to that? So really getting very granular, getting into the weeds about what is happening to sentiment. And there's so many measures of sentiment, but it's partly about looking around you and anecdotally understanding what is happening in your local environment. And it's also about looking, you know, globally at a macro level and trying to make sense of what is happening 
happening in the world. And if you can put those two things together, what do I want and what is actually happening, then you can start to position yourself to ask the question, how do I achieve that first question, which is what do I want in light of what is happening? And that is a very different flavor of question to be asking yourself. And it's certainly what I've witnessed some of the best investors in the world doing in order to give themselves an edge. They're not asking themselves, what are other people doing? They're asking themselves, what is happening? What is real? What is concrete? And I don't want to get too much into the weeds of what I think is happening today. I'll save that for another episode. But you know, if you can really take action, both in terms of what's happening in your own existing portfolio, as well as how you continue to accumulate investments or at what pace you uh, accumulate investments or what asset class, then you can start to put yourself in that small percentage of investors that actually prevail in spite of any market conditions. Because there's no question to me that there are a very small cohort of investors that have managed to succeed regardless of market conditions and have seen many, many, many cycles in the past. And really what we want to do as investors is put ourselves into that professional investor mindset where regardless of what happens in the market, I'm not saying that, you know, you won't make a loss or or things won't go sideways. What I'm suggesting is that you can put yourself into that small cohort of investors where the impact is minimized. In terms of, you know, really what I wanted to drive home today is it's not necessarily the complex things that give you an investor's edge. It's often very simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. And really what I would love to uh, see more investors do is start to think about the fundamentals that are necessary to set themselves apart from what everybody else is doing. So guys, look, this is a really, really important topic given the state of flux in the world today. I'd love to really double down on a series of podcasts over the coming weeks and really dive into a lot of what I'm witnessing, a lot of what I intuitively believe are you know smart moves for investors who want to have an edge and really unpack a little bit about the difference between you know maybe fiction and what's real. So I hope you find that useful. If you have any topics that you are really interested in and you want to kind of have a bit of a play or you want me to bring them up in this podcast, please reach out to me. Send me an email, selena, S-A-L-E-N-A, at Incosi Wealth, I-N-K-O-S-I, wealth.com. And I look forward to uh, connecting with you on future episodes. Thank you as always for making the time to tune in. I hope you found this really useful. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.